What is up, everybody? It is time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, the keeper of the peace, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and guys, tonight's episode 21 titled Teach Me How to Dougie. Teach me, teach me how to Dougie. Teach me how to Dougie. Teach me, teach me how to Dougie. Uh Tonight, guys, we got old Miss pitcher Doug Nikhazy on with us. But before we bring Doug into the mix, guys, it's been a week of accolades for the In Off the Bench podcast. Jim, my man, talk to us a little bit about those. Yeah, so Friday, I had the privilege of being able to go out to Northwest and watch Dylan Hale, who currently has the third most downloaded episode, and watch him play in first at bat. Absolutely smashes the ball out at right center. It was awesome to see because, you know, as we know, he's put in a lot of hard work in the gym, a lot of hard work in the batting cage. And so that was awesome. And then I get home to see immediately the Frill, the other half of the Frilly Dilly, he went yard in his first game as well, and their team won at home. So Northwest and Holmes both start off with Ws. Both boys start off with bombs. And so I love it. Frilly Dilly continues to kill. But that is not the only big thing accomplished. We know that Randy is a numbers guy. Randy, what happened with the podcast dealing with numbers? So unlike Frilly Dilly, you know, we started out very quietly, just wanted to get together on a Zoom and talk about, you know, the last dance. And then it morphed into something bigger. We got better. Uh, I encourage everybody to listen to all of our episodes, of course, especially the first couple. And then now we have now passed 10,000 listens. So shout out to all of you. Shout out to DB, the host, Jim, the guest getter, and me just here talking shit. So appreciate all of your listens. 10,000 is just the beginning for what we hope this will be. And we, um, we're going to follow the frilly dilly and just keep hitting bombs. All right, guys, so let's move into it. Without further ado, let's welcome on to the show with the biggest interview in podcasting this week, Old Miss pitcher Doug Nikhazy. All right, Doug, so where are you from? Uh, I, I was born in North Carolina, but I actually grew up in Orlando, Florida my entire life. That's all I, that's all I remember. I moved there when I was about four and just, it's a good baseball area. So I'm blessed and happy that I grew up there, but it was just, it's a great place. So. Gotcha. And so what's the, uh, is the family dynamic like, do you have a lot of athletes in your family or are you the lone guy? No, it's, it's just a big family of a bunch of baseball and softball fanatics so i'm the i'm the middle child i have a younger brother his name's tj and he's also a left-handed pitcher he actually just committed to wheeling university up in west virginia small d2 so i'm really proud of him for that but he's a left-handed pitcher as well i have an older sister who went to stetson for softball and now she's actually a grad assistant here at Ole Miss with me and she does uh sports media production so she, I get to razz her about how she has to take videos of me and stuff now. So, but That's nice. she, my mom wasn't too much of an athlete, but my dad, he, um, he, he was a high school baseball coach uh, before he had us, like all three of us. And he grew up loving baseball and knew that he was going to teach all of his kids how to play it. So. 
so with that, you say he taught y'all and then obviously y'all all play. Was there pressure or was it just all fun? Uh, tons of pressure. But I mean, that I, I think that's kind of what comes with it, I guess, because my dad, he did a great job of really at a young age, putting me into situations and kind of put giving myself a track record and giving myself sort of a, um, I don't know, putting innings under my belt at a young age that by the time that I made it to Ole Miss, I really wasn't that nervous initially to just kind of go for it. So tons of pressure was applied on me, always trying to make me play with older kids and stuff, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it seems like a fine line because most of the really good athletes we have on here, they wore push, but, you know, you got to push. You just can't push too hard, it seems. But, you know, obviously you're having success, so he pushed you in the right direction, and then obviously your siblings as well. Um, was baseball the only thing you played growing up? Yeah, I um, I played a little bit of football. I was about eight or nine, but my mom got me off the field pretty quickly. She didn't like me playing football. And I really didn't gravitate towards any other sports. I played volleyball in like middle school for like three years and that was kind of a weird phase but other than that it was just all baseball so would you say you know you're pretty athletic or is it just one of those things you're good at baseball I, th I, I think I'm pretty athletic I mean I was able to at least hold my own playing in the field and inner squads because everyone says the pitchers aren't athletes so I was able to at least hold my own playing a little bit of a position in the fall in my freshman and sophomore year fall playing outfield and doing all that stuff. So that, I mean, that helped me and translated to me on the mound being a little bit more dynamic. Right. Yeah. It's definitely hit or miss. There are pitchers that are very unathletic and then there's oh, some yeah. that, that are stellar. So with that, you know, you talk about your siblings and then you say you are athletic. Who would you say is the most athletic of the three y'all? That's a tough one. I, I, I really, I think it's actually my sister, to be completely honest. My brother's less athletic than me, and he'll hate to hear that. He'll get real mad at me for hearing that one. But um, I think I'm, it's probably my sister's the most, most athletic. She, um, up until, because she's two years older than me now. So it was like up until only like I got into high school that I was like starting to be able to do things more than her, but just for she she's very impressive on the softball field and she had a great career at Stetson so well you definitely just won points you and Keegan James from Mississippi State he said his siblings as well but everybody else has been quick whether they're talking about their siblings or even their parents you know some will throw their parents on the bus and be like I don't know where I got my athletic genes from and so <laughs> the fact that you shouted out your your sister I think that's going to go well especially since you know you said she's filming you and whatnot so mm -hmm. she'll take care of you now so, you know, you mentioned that you weren't just a pitcher at times. What all positions did you play growing up leading up to now? Uh, I played outfield and I played first base in high school. So that was that's actually because I got recruited to come to Ole Miss as a two sport athlete. And honestly, coming up, it seemed more like I was going to come here and actually hit more than I was going to pitch, because that's really in the direction that my dad pointed me in because he's more of a hitter than a pitcher. But he just. He knew that he could teach me how to pitch. I threw left-handed, so he just said, get on the mound. But it, I, when I was getting recruited to come play here, I really thought that I was going to hit. So it was something that I put a lot of attention into up until I, I stopped hitting this past year. Right, yeah. So coming up, did you play – you know, most of the guys we talked to play a lot of travel ball. Were you playing, like, year-round on travel teams? Yeah. I, um, I started playing travel ball when I was about eight years old. I remember it was a big thing with my dad. He like 
pulled me out of little league and everyone can, he was, I think he was like the commissioner of the little league or whatever it may be. And he pulled me out to go play in some better competition and travel ball. And I've been playing every summer since. Yeah. I had trouble with it this past year. So we won just our, our little recreational championship at stone Grove. And then the coach wanted to take like half the team, including my son and, and do a travel team. And I told him, I said, man, my son just, he ain't there. He's got, he's got skills, but like mentally, like, he doesn't take it competitively. It's just fun. And so I was like, man, I'm going to have to pass. I was like, I can't imagine paying the money and traveling. And then, you know, him not even want to play. I'll be dragging him to tournaments. So, uh, so when you were on those teams, were you one of those that was like the best player on the team or were you more of a late bloomer that maybe didn't get better till high school? Uh, in those teams growing up, I, I was really, really talented at a young age. Cause I was a lot, I kind of, hit puberty earlier than a lot of kids so around that like 12 to 13 year old rage I was kind of I was kind of dominating kids because I was just physically bigger than them and I was able to hit the ball out of the park when those with those 200 foot fences but once the field got a little bit bigger and that size neutralized it got a little bit more difficult for me once I started doing that throwing from 60 feet where that fastball doesn't throw as hard so that it's then I became kind of in the mix and had to find other ways to kind of separate myself right so got to be honest or ask the question you got to be honest you know were you a trash talker when you were young you said you know you grew faster you were playing travel ball early you know were you one of those that you know were heckling other kids oh no my dad would smack me upside the head if I was talking any to anybody but once once I got off my dad's team when I, I think I stopped playing for my dad when I was about 13 and I started playing for some other people we would talk a little bit of crap of our, our same thing with that, that summer coach, Mark, Mark Guthrie, who has um, played the big leagues for about, I think it was 15 years, seasoned veteran. He, he would have, he's the same way. Probably he wouldn't let us talk too much either. Yeah, no, it really just all depends on the coaches. You know, some of them are all business. Some of them are fun. And, you know, I like to, if I had a perfect coach, I like the ones who are in between. You got to have a little bit of both. So transitioning to high school, what high school did you go to? I went to West Orange High School, public school. Is that a big school or a small school? It's massive. It is a, I mean, not massive by it. It's a uh, 4,000, 4,000 kids. It's pretty big it, it, in that area though, Orlando. So in the suburbs, is it five, Orlando, a, six, a, seven, a, what is it? I think, I think it in Florida, it goes up to nine, a whatever, but it's, I don't think it makes a difference. It's just the highest size school. Gotcha. So it, um, it's a huge school and a lot of the schools around that area are just as big which was really cool because every single school that we're playing at, I know West Orange had to get a relief school and then the school that relieved West Orange Windermere High School ended up getting a relief school for them as well so it's just that area is just overflowing yeah so I see in 2016 2017 y'all were district champions you know which team when you were in high school do you feel like was the best team you were on uh, that 2017 team was really, really talented. We had a lot of guys. I specifically just guys that come to come to come to my head is like Tyler Baum, who played at UNC. Um, you had Chris Cease, who got drafted in the supplemental first round that year by the Rangers. You also um, you had Cole Enright, who also got drafted by the Rangers that year. So it was just really talented team. A lot of guys that were going all over the place, and then a lot of guys in my class that were kind of coming up at that time. It was just really cool to be around that. And we ended up going, I think, um, losing in the state semifinals that year. So it was a really talented team. 
Yeah, so you know the guys that you played with that were talented. The fun question is always, who was the best player that you remember playing against? Oh, this is actually a really funny story. So I was – my high school coach, you were talking about guys that um, – coaches that would allow guys to have fun, talk some crap. So my high school coach was that guy, Jesse Marlowe, and he um, – I think it was a preseason game against Lake Mary. And a guy that played for that team, um, his name was – uh, Brendan Rogers. He now is, <clears throat> plays in the AAA organization for the Rockies, and he was just this all-around stud that year. And I was really cocky, and I was a fresh. I, it was my sophomore year. I had a good freshman year, and I throw to him, and I'm drawing K's on the back of the mound, mm-hmm. just like being ridiculous. And he comes up and hits a home run, four hundred like four hundred something ridiculous feet. And he's a senior that gets drafted that year. And I'm like, I kind of had a dose of reality at that moment. He was the best hitter I faced. I also, I, um, I take that back. Um, Bo Bichette also played in my district. So he's, he was pretty good too. So clearly you played with some great players. You played against some great players. Do you, do you still talk to the guys you played with or against? I talk to, I keep a really good relationship with the guys that I played with just because we were a really tight knit group and that team was really special. So yeah, I, I keep tabs on all of them. I give them a call as frequently as I can. So when in high school, did you get on the college radar? When did you start having schools approach you? I, um, I had, I committed to Ole Miss really early. I committed in the summer going into my freshman year of high school. So it was a really early process for me. Um, that same so the moment that I stopped playing for my dad when I was 12 and he passed me off to another coach, his name's Rob Caravino, fantastic coach, owns a hitting facility in Tampa. And that team that I played on, I played with my other teammate, Gunnar Hoagland, on that team at the age of 13. And I also played with Justin Bench at the age of 13. We all played and we all played for Rob Caravino, who happens to be really good friends with um, Mike Bianco. And... Um, uh, he basically tells us, he's like, you really need three, these three players. And I ended up committing that early that year. So I got on the radar of Coach B and all of them in my eighth grade summer. And um, after that moment, or after I started talking to Ole Miss, then I started talking to a couple other schools after that. Yeah, I have to admit, that's pretty impressive. You're probably, I don't know, like the 25th baseball player we've had you know, from college. And you're probably the earliest I've heard of being recruited like usually most guys say their sophomore year definitely don't say before going into their freshman year so that's pretty impressive so you said some other schools was what were the other ones you might have been considering the other schools that I was talking to at the time were LSU FSU and UF man you didn't go to LSU I know you see I know you see the stuff (laughs) in the background Uh uh-huh Oh. I, was, I went on a visit, and the one game I watched, I got to see Aaron Nola pitch, and it was that was a sur- that was surreal. That was the box is great, man. It's a great environment. Yeah, no, I love it there. Um, going to the Mississippi State LSU series, but I don't know what it's going to look like attendance wise. Hopefully, they'll allow a decent amount of fans, so it has some kind of atmosphere to it. I know the teams obviously are going to bring it. So we actually got a, a little rivalry we got going with Cade and. Josh Hatcher, you know, one of them, if not both of them, hopefully will will hit bombs and bat flip and stare the other one down. We'll we'll see. Hopefully they're <laughs> not bat flipping on you because that means they took a yard. So we'll. I sure hope not. <laughs> so let's transition to Ole Miss. You know, 
what were the feelings, emotions like when you got there, especially considering you told me, you know, it was a long time coming being you went through all of high school knowing you were going there? Mm -hmm. It was a surreal experience because, like you said, I knew the whole time I was going through high school that as long as everything went well that I would end up there. Once I finally made it, it was it was an awesome feeling. I got here in the summer of, I think, 2018, and it was got on campus and it was everything that I wanted. The coaches were fantastic and my teammates and everything wel welcomed me and my class with open arms. And it was just, it was awesome. What about the first time you touched the field? Were you nervous? Extremely nervous. So are you talking in a, in the spring? Pra or in practice game, any of it, you know, I'm, most guys say is the second they touch that diamond for the first time, the nerves kick in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, my first outing in the, in the fall, I had to face Tyler Keenan, who that year was a fantastic hitter, and I'm pretty sure he took me yard in my first outing. And he, that's just a nice welcome to college D1 college baseball. And then after that, then it, then it kind of goes away because I eventually I learned that okay, I'm going to be going to be okay. I give up a home run to the best hitter on the team, and then hey, I'm still alive. I'm still standing here. I'm all in one piece, so we're good. Yeah, I'd rather get it over with early, you know, you that to be honest, you know, for some guys, you kind of shake the nerves out, even when you deal adversity on the front end, because you'd obviously rather start with it in the beginning of your career than have it, you know, later on when you're making a run to Omaha or something. Right. So freshman year, you made uh, 20 appearances, 14 starts, finished with a nine and three record, 3.31 ERA and, you know, set Ole Miss freshman record with 86 strikeouts, you know. How did you feel personally about your freshman year? I felt I, I was really happy with it. I knew, I knew that was a great accomplishment for me, knowing where I came from in high school. I know that um, I we made a lot of um, physical changes going into my going into my freshman year of college. There was a lot of arm slot diff, uh, issues that I had to go through, figuring out my lower half, just putting on more weight. And I was just so happy that it culminated with all my work really culminating with a really good season I could throw together. So. I was just happy with it and couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sitting here looking at the list of your performances freshman year, you know, of them. I mean, I see a lot of good ones. I, you know, I see you taking no hitters in the seventh. I see you against LSU and Texas A&M and Missouri, ECU, all this stuff. You know, which of those was your favorite moment from your freshman year? Um, wow, that's a really good question. Um. I think my first, my very first outing on the road on, on the weekend was against Missouri. And that was a nerve wracking moment because I'd been out of the bullpen and had success in the bullpen. And then they moved me to a couple spot midweek starts against ECU. And then I pitched a midweek start against Louisville and I lost both of those games. So I'm like, okay, I blew my shot. It's over. And then they stick me on the weekend against Missouri on the road. So I, Tons of nerves, really nervous, and I came in and I had a great start. I took a, I think I took that no hitter into the seventh that game, and some. I think after that, and a lot of people's eyes cemented myself on the weekend. So it was just, it was an awesome, awesome, awesome trip. Yeah, no doubt. So as far as freshman year for a team, you know, uh, I see how it went. Obviously, you come up short, but did you feel like? Obviously, the expectation and the goal was is to win a national championship. But, you know, making it to as far as y'all did in the Super Regionals, I mean, did y'all feel good about it or did it leave a salty taste in the mouth? Oh, man, it, it was extremely salty. And I think that team that we had that year, we were really able to pull it together. There was highs and lows. And it was just a very special 
team. And I really thought, and I believed in my heart that we were going to make it. And then to fall to, especially Arkansas was really, really hard, really hard pill to swallow after playing very well against them in the regular season. And at the sec tournament, we were just thinking, expecting to be there and, it was disappointing, but we were all, I think we all took it with a grain of salt and continued to try and improve. Yeah. Speaking of Arkansas, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about your moment on TV, you know, how did you handle, you know, what, what took place and what transpired on television when you were playing Arkansas, not that game, obviously, but you mm -hmm. know, that season. So that was, I mean, that was just, that's nightmare fuel for anybody that's ever had to be on TV that that's the most that's that you can't think of anything more cliche and worse than that. So I get, I, you get off, get immediately get off the field and I check my phone and it's just a million messages from every person I've ever known. And really that like my heartbeat kicked up and then it re I was really nervous for about an hour or two. And then knowing that I was going to pitch the next day and knowing that we had lost game one and man, I'm a freshman. I think I just threw my team under the bus and those thoughts roll through your head. But one of the cool things that I think coach B coach Lafferty, they teach us, it's just to have really good mental fortitude and be able to like, in those moments, it was really just the biggest test. Like if I could make it any harder on myself, I just did. So going into that next game, I just, just, um, I knew that they were going to bring it. I knew the fans were going to bring it. And it was a great, honestly, it was the best environment I've, I've played in in a while. So it was just, I took that and just tried to turn it into a positive and thank God I won that game. That'd have been a dark moment if we lost. Yeah. I can really appreciate the way you're looking at it because you got one of two roads to go, right? You can let everybody get to you and being that you're a pitcher, you're built for this, right? You know, you have to overcome adversity on the mound. You have to overcome people taunting you and everything else. So yeah, I think you were built for this, you know, and like you said, it made, it made for a competitive environment, one where they tried to, to get at you and so I like that you handled it the way you did. And, you know, for some people, they might have not took it that well. And so I, I, I'll be honest, I told I told the guys when we were we were looking at it, I said, at the end of the day, if Doug does what he's supposed to do, he might be a first round draft pick and playing in the MLB and nobody's ever going to care that that even happened. Or if you win a national championship this year, no one's going to care because they're going to remember that over that. So you just got to move mm -hmm. past it and take care of business. So no doubt. I love that you have an optimistic and you have fun with it. I mean, if you can't mm -hmm. laugh with your friends about it, you know, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, I, I think after, after that game, after I won, I got my, like my, my one word in, I, I posted like, I think an Instagram post, uh, post and it said like the comment said boogeyman or I labeled myself as that. And then I, it was just, it, it was good to get that last word in at, at the end because it was, I really, I really didn't say anything. I think I, I tried my best to just not give anyone any sort of, like any sort of fuel whatsoever. And then um, I, I, I just got my last word in right there at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's just all in how you take it. And I love it. So you, you get past that. You obviously said y'all had a salty taste in your mouth. You get to the next year, you know, your name 2020 preseason, all American, you know, you start off the season great, team starts off great, and then COVID hits, another salty taste in your mouth. How were you able and your team to handle, you know, the season being just pulled out from underneath you like that? that yeah, that was just super emotional. It was a tough time. And we, I think more than a lot of other teams that had to go through it, we were just so shell-shocked after the amount of guys that we had lost to the draft the year prior and how many guys that we left and completely just – 
overhauled our team and we had no clue. We knew that we were really good. Don't get me wrong, but we didn't know that we were going to lose one game. Like we didn't know we were going to do that. So when that happened and they took that away from us right before SEC play, you know, we, um, we, we were really, we really hurt for a little bit. And then afterwards, what, what all the great athletes do and what the people with the elite mindsets can do is be able to like, just count down the days the next time you're on the mound, really. And I think most of the guys did that. They had to go home, they had to quarantine, but we're able to find ways to get better in very unique and specific ways. Yeah, looking at it, I mean, no different than you were saying, y'all lost a lot of players, you know, and talking to Mississippi State and LSU and Tennessee guys, they all had to do the same thing. But the good thing is being the schools that y'all are, the programs that y'all are, y'all have all reloaded completely. And, I mean, everybody is – ranked up at the top you know I look I look forward to I'm going to Arlington to watch y'all against the Texas teams and the idea that there's six SEC teams in the top 10 and that all those teams reloaded and we may get the best season of baseball you know sometimes it sucks to have something like that but I think we've geared for an even better season I mean how do you how do y'all feel coming to this season I just feel like the storylines are really good like I think like you said it's just there's you I think you're going to really see who who um, who made jumps, who made improvements, and who who took quarantine and decided to just become a completely different person, become a, a way better person than they could have been beforehand. And the type of, I think the league that we have this year and the way that the rankings are coming out, the way everything looks, it's just it's geared up for a great season. No matter how you look at it, and whoever you're cheering for, it's going to be really fun to watch, especially since everyone misses it too. Yeah, and you said you'll see who put in the work. So during the quarantine, obviously I know a lot of guys were doing workouts, but for you as a pitcher, I mean, were you getting sessions in with somebody somewhere? Mm, no, not necessarily. I I, um, I had a facility that I worked out back at home. Um, it was tough to get in there, even though uh, they tried to make it and get the protocols and everything correct. It just, they, it couldn't really work out. So a lot of it, I was just throwing with my younger brother finding parks to go throw at um had a gym at my house and working out at that and doing that kind of stuff um but I think what the really special people can do is like the guys that are truly like either just have an itch to I think one of the best things coach B taught us about being at Ole Miss was the best players have an itch to learn an itch to be better and like I spend countless hours just surfing the internet trying to figure out new things to and ways to get better and I'll just text coach laugh. Hey, did you see this? Can I send you a video? And that's, and the best part is this coach laugh has the ability to just um, listen to us and not have like an ego. Like, don't listen to this, like go out, try and find information and then just bring it to me and filter it through me. And we'll see if you can implement it and how to do that. So I just tried to pick apart every part of my mechanics and my motion and just try and refine it as much as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. seems like you're a very cerebral player. A lot of guys, you know, they'll spend more time just in the gym trying to make up for it. And, you know, the fact that you're saying you're doing film and study and, and trying to figure out different ways to get better, that's that's unique, and I like it. So, you know, you said the SEC or play got cut right before the SEC season started, and we just talked about all the teams, you know, coming in the season in the rankings. Which matchup do you look forward to most? Um. I, I'd be lying if I didn't say um, I think Vander, the Vanderbilt weekend is going to be vicious. I mean, um, what they got cooking with their Friday and Saturday guy and what we have cooking, it's it's just geared up to be 
and of course their lineups fierce. They have great players and we do as well. So, and I think at that time of the season, both of our plays developed to where it's going to be just like an onslaught of just two really good teams going at it. So I, I'm and I've had other people ask me, which is kind of a weird um, sidebar, but um, people ask me like what my goals are sometimes. And I don't really specifically have goals for myself. I really just look towards certain people on, on my calendar that I want to beat. And that's one of those weekends that circled, dotted, highlighted everything. Like I'm waiting to pitch against one of those two guys, whoever they decide to throw. I love it. Yeah, no, the Tennessee guys, of course, you know, being in the East, they said Vandy, but, you know, they talked about it, um, especially them coming off a championship. And then, like you said, the guys that they have on the mound, obviously Kumar just being the first name, you know. Yeah, I like that you have it circled, you pinpointed. I actually was surprised you didn't say a team from the West, you know, I do have a question because I am more knowledge in football than I am baseball, even though I love watching SEC baseball. Obviously, the rivalry with Mississippi State and Ole Miss and the egg bowl in football is a big deal. In baseball, is the rivalry is the rivalry just as intense? Yeah, it, it's it's a do, it's for me. I had to adopt it and I had to learn it because it's just rolls deeper than I ever thought it would from being from Florida and not being a traditional fan of Mississippi sports and stuff like that. But it rolls deep. And I think we're all very invested in that series more than anything else. But I wouldn't even want to give them the credit of them thinking that I'm I, like even remotely worried about their weekend. So, oh, that's awesome, man. Make sure them boys listen to it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Obviously, I'm an LSU fan, but I'm a little conflicted, man. Cameron James is my boy. Uh, watched him the whole time he was at D.C. And then he's killing it out there at Starville. So and then obviously I've liked interviewing you and then Connor Pavoloni from Tennessee. I don't know, man. I'm going to root for all you guys. I just hope one of y'all brings home the championship and not, and not Vandy. Hey, I'm with you guys. Cause you know, we haven't interviewed any of their guys. So, you know, the last question I got for you pertaining before we get into this game is you said you don't really have any goals, but we've seen your name on the draft radar and they have you projected, you know, right now it's just a second round pick. You know, would one of your goals not be to say, you know, being honest, that you want to be in that first round, that you want to get yourself up there and cement it in there? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a long talk with Coach B about this, and um, it, it's something that um, I had to kind of over uh, think about over time because um, I had a difficulty because I really don't like thinking about myself and thinking about, <clears throat> like, my personal gain. I really just like to keep it about the team. And – <clears throat> that was like a conflicting moment for me is when I'm looking at draft and looking at, well, of course I want to be better, but like, that's, that's about me. I need to be thinking about the team, stuff like that. So um, when I look at all that stuff, really, I'm, I, and coach B said it best is you, you can't be, th- you, can't, you can't be on the mound thinking that every guy that you strike out, like cha-ching, that's enough. That's there's some more money. Or if you give up a home run, you just, you just lost some money or, or whatever it may be. So I really don't look towards that stuff and try try my best to just be focused on the team. And I think that's going to give me the best success and in turn maybe give me a higher draft stock is the less I think about it. So, Yeah, no, you definitely want to be a team guy and not think about yourself. But, I mean, let's be honest, that's your future. And so, you know, I think anybody's going to think about where they are on that radar and getting themselves to the highest level on there. So there's nothing wrong with it, you know, if that if you if you're thinking about that and that's what you're aiming towards. But yeah, you definitely want to make sure you got the team goals first. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna play a game. And so it's called this or that. And basically 
The only rule is when I give you the options, you can't say neither or both. You down to play? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So first one, would you rather have 20 strikeouts or a no hitter? Mm, 20 strikeouts. Me too. For sure. That just seems like a cooler little tagline than a no-hitter. I feel like a no, there's an element of luck to a no-hitter. 20 strikeouts, there's no fake in 20 well, strikeouts. There, there's that guy in Vandy we were talking about who's got both. Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, are you someone who likes to call people or text? Oh, I call people. I'll, I'll FaceTime people. That's, like, my one thing. I A lot of – I feel like a lot of my friends and teammates won't pick up unless I FaceTime them. I'll text them if it's not that important, but if it's if even remotely important, I'm probably FaceTiming them. Yeah, I'm a text kind of guy. I actually get on a lot of people's nerves because I won't answer the phone call, but then I'll text you right after. So <laughs> I'm that <laughs> no, guy. No, I have friends like that too. And, th- and then I get they get on my nerves too because I'm like, we can just we can get this done in five seconds. Just let me let me call you in there. Like, no, I don't want to talk on the phone. I don't enjoy talking on the phone. I like I really only like FaceTiming. So when I have to call my parents, I'll tell them to FaceTime me after they call me. So so sticking with that same kind of theme, are you the kind of guy that would ask a girl out through DMs or would you do it face to face? Oh, I'm going to uh, we'll, we will try our best to go face to face, but more likely it's we're going to probably shoot a Snapchat. Yeah, cuz we Snapchat. We talk about it, right? Cuz we've had all these female athletes that say, "Do not DM me, do not DM me." But then the male athletes come on here and say, "It always works." So <laughs> they gotta, they gotta be lying, right? Because it, it'll be clearly it's working. So, and then of course, you know, not gonna name any names, but we've had, a, we've had a couple of those same female athletes say they don't do DMs, but then when we gave them a chance to plug something, they plug their handles on Instagram and Twitter, and it's like, eh, if you don't answer DMs, you, you're sure throwing out the the information. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Uh, all right. So I got asked to ask you a football question. Who would you prefer, Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach? Oh, Lane Kiffin, Lane Train for sure. Mike, he, um, I don't, I really don't even know the slightest bit about football strategy, but all I know is Lane Kiffin likes to play, likes to play base, um, likes to play football like he's playing Madden. So I like that. I like going for it, going for it on fourth down. I like all that stuff. Yeah, no, it was an interesting year of football. Do you like, you know, because we've talked about the trash talk, whether we like it or don't like it. Do you like how much he talks, especially like on social media? It is so entertaining. It is extremely entertaining. And just talking to John Rice Plumley about it, who has a really close relationship with him, he's like, he's just, he's a blast to be around. He's super fun and just brings energy and he, he finds ways to relate to other players in very unique ways that obviously shows really good results. Yeah, no doubt. So would you rather be smart or funny? <sighs> Probably smart. I'm not, I don't, I feel like I'm not that funny anyway. So All I, right. I, I don't even think I'm that smart either, but if I, so really, this is a true question. Which one could I get? I'd rather be smarter probably. All right. So you took smart. Would you rather be smart or have great hair? Mm, probably still be smart. I feel like I'm going to be bald anyway, and I'm kind of going to accept it. I, I have decent hair right now, which it's short now, by the way, it's, it's all, I got hat hair right now, but it's usually going to be way longer by the end of the season. It's going to, gonna let it grow all the way out I, I don't like to touch it when I'm playing so yeah, you could tell you're used to having long hair because you just told me your hair was short and your hair is longer than mine's ever been in my life so <laughs> all right so 
you play one second base or right field, which one? Right field. I I would I would, I don't think I would not work well in the middle infield. I just my hands suck. All right, and you said you used to be a hitter, so this wasn't on the uh, the questions at first. But since you said you used to be a hitter, I got to ask: Would you rather hit bombs and strike out a lot, or would you rather get on base all the time? Hit bombs. See some Swayze. Sh- some Swayze showers would be nice. I just want to see if, and that's every pitcher's goal is just hit bombs. I mean, when I when I played in the fall, I wasn't trying to get on base. I didn't care about an on base percentage. Are you kidding me? No, I'm just I'm just trying to drive it over the fence. Absolutely. That is the right answer. So last one. This is this is the defining question we always ask. Money or friends? Friends every time. Now, every if I was time. to ask you again after this, would you still say that? Because the answer sometimes changes for guys when we're not interviewing. Oh, no, it's actually friends. I think money makes things way more fun. It makes things a little bit easier, but it's it, it ain't gonna give you good friends so and sometimes it makes them worse so that's what if, if you have good friends man they're not going anywhere for their family they're there for life and that money goes away a lot quicker than family and friends i hear you all right so before we let you go is there anything you want to plug or promote something that you know it can be uh your games it could be your your social media handle it could be anything is there anything you want to share Ooh, uh, yeah, I mean, you already said you're going, which is awesome, but Rebs open their season up in Arlington on February 19th. I'm fairly certain I'm, I'm going to be, we're going to be playing, we're going to be playing TCU on February 19th. And then we're going to go, we're going to play Texas after that. And then we're going to play uh, Texas Tech on the last day. So be sure to tune into that. Or if you live in Texas or live in the area, go see that. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I don't think I've ever been more excited about going to a baseball, man. I've been to, you know, I've been to playoff games in the in the majors and I still don't think I'm as hyped because the idea of having six top 10 teams and, you know, one place playing each other um, all day for three days. I've just never been to anything like that. So I'm stoked. And obviously, like I said, I hope the three SEC teams clean house on the Big mm-hmm. 12 and get it done. So be, I'll be rooting for for all y'all. And, you know, LSU's not there, so it's easy for me. I'm just going to go for all SEC. You have been great tonight. So we're going to let you do what college kids do. But that is Doug Nikhazy. Thank our guest tonight, Doug Nikhazy, for joining us. We're going to have him back when they are hoisting up that SEC championship or possibly even a national championship. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk Cardinals baseball. We're going to talk Memphis Tigers, Memphis Grizzlies, the Super Bowl, and much, much more. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We got some headlines for you. Leading off tonight, we got Major League Baseball Jim, we got Nolan Arenado, who was a big acquisition for the Cardinals this week. Is this a big, big move, or is this just a, a bonus move for these guys? I think this is a big move. You could argue that it's a bonus because, as Randy will tell you, Edmund has been a phenomenal guy that has came up. But when you talk about an eight-time gold glover and a four-time silver slugger, somebody who has – 
you know, 235 home runs and 760 RBIs in their arsenal and then, you know, can make all the plays at third base. I mean, it's a big move. It's a, I mean, I'd say a huge move. Randy, I, I would, I would agree with Jim. It's, it's, it's a nice and it's a big acquisition, but I don't know if this is the missing piece. Do you think this is the missing piece? Is this what's going to put them in, into that championship talk again? I think it'll put them in the conversation. It, you know, they still have a lot of things they have to figure out. You know, the pitching staff is pretty good. Got to figure out what you're going to do at catcher. You know, every all implications are that Yachty's coming back, but uh, not that you know you guys are underselling it. But just making all the plays isn't what Arnado does. He is literally one of the best defensive metric third baseman of all time. Um, it's something that we haven't had. And the Cardinals organization with both corners being locked down because Goldie is going to lock his down. He's one of the best first basemen in the game. Uh, really, it brings back the Pujols and um, Scott Rowland. It brings back that kind of feel because that's what you're looking for here, uh, especially in a weakened division. The Cubs are on a fire sale. You know, the Reds are the Reds. And, you know what I'm saying? I, I really feel like the division is theirs for the taking now as long as you can stay healthy on that pitching staff, you know, with Captain Jack. Can he return to form? Can he get run support? Dude had like a two ERA and got like eight wins. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's the it's the w missing piece to get them in the conversation. But it's going to take, as with any championship, a lot of luck because you're going up against guys, you know, the Dodgers are going to be – they're here to stay. Um, you know, they're just San Diego, young, youthful. But, yeah, this is a huge move for the Cardinals. But, they, but think about what your biggest complaint's always been, all of ours. But, I mean, I know just from talking to you a lot, we don't hit for power. And so, yeah. not only you bring the defense, when you got a guy who does both sides, I mean, what are we talking about? Absolutely. And that makes me – now it kind of ma makes me wish we had Ozuna back or, you know, things like that for that pop. But last year, a lot of the times, it was just Goldie hitting for power, you know, and Yachty every once in a while. But this is huge. This is huge. But, so, hey, something I will bring up, though, this probably does, and I know it's make a little tear to Jim's eye. Colton Wong, see you on another team, my friend. Mm. Peace out, bro. Don't need you anymore. Thanks. Favorite player too. Mm. Thanks. I do, your... and hey, Colty, I love you, baby. Good luck with your future endeavors. Is basically what's about to happen with him. But guys, there's some breaking news. Um, Major League Baseball is talking about shortening the season from 162 to 154. Um, this hasn't been done in a really long time. I think they originally. I'd have to look at the date, but at one time they had 154 games. They extended it to 162. They're talking about pushing spring training back to the end of March and really starting the season a month later than what they normally do. Um, my question to you, Jim, is does it make a damn bit of difference to cut out from one, go from 162 to 154? No, I don't think it makes a difference at all. And, you know, we just came off a 60-game season. But, you know, one of the luxuries I've had since Austin has been working out around here, he told me straight up the other day, he doesn't care how many games they just want to play. And we just want to see them play. Randy, I'll ask you this. I know you, and if you're one of these guys, you're looking to get paid for 162 games and not 154. A hundred percent. I'm getting the bag. Give me my money. But I think in relevance to the person I said, you know, Austin's not getting the bag regardless right now, Randy. So it probably doesn't matter much to him. But those guys, you know, upper echelon paid players. Yeah, it's more meaningful to those guys.
Well, you can look at it like that, which is a good point, or you can look at it like because he's not getting the bag, he wants to get all of what he can get, right? Does $20 million a year versus 1.2, what difference is eight games? Very true. So Hank Aaron passed away, guys, a legend. Jim, what did he do for baseball? I mean, obviously the first thing that comes to people's mind is the home run king. But, you know, I looked at so many things and I read a bunch of good articles and it was just, you know, how long he played, playing 23 seasons. And then talking about how, you know, obviously he wasn't one of the ones that necessarily broke the color barrier, but he had to face down a lot of racism with his success, especially when it came to passing Babe Ruth. And so, you know, he just – the character that he showed along with the statistics he put up and the amount of years he played, I think he just really set the bar high for what players should strive for when it comes to greatness. So Randy, I'll ask you the same question, given what we've seen in our time with baseball, we obviously didn't get a chance to watch Hank Aaron live play, but what can we take away from Hank Aaron that we've seen in our, in our time with watching baseball? You know, it's wild because he's not actually the home run king, but he's still synonymous with being the home run king. When everybody says home run king, they automatically think of Hank Aaron. And like Jim, going through and doing some doing some research on him because we didn't get to see him, one thing that stood out to me was that Willie Mays and Hank Aaron were all-star teammates 22 times, but they were $50 was the difference between them being teammates. And Aaron, he spoke about it a lot. He said that he began his professional career and the only reason he ended up with the Braves was because they offered him $50 more a month than the Giants. So $50 a month was a difference between Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. And what a those are two of the greatest outfielders of all time. What a story it would have been if they had been side-by-side side the whole time. Yeah, true true legend, a true, you know, great and uh, a Hall of Famer for sure. You know, And, and an Eagle Scout. Eagle Scout. Word to him, making fires, catching fish, making tents. You know it. He's doing it all. But speaking of Hall of Fame, Randy, is the Hall of Fame a joke? You know, the joke for me is the, 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 the hypocrisy that baseball thrived off of the steroid era. And now to not to turn their back on them and for these holier-than-thou writers, that some of them got their start in writing by writing about the Maguires and the bonds and the Sosa's and all those guys. And now you don't vote them in because why they were better than you. Because let me tell you something, boys, Barry bonds was better than all of you before he ever juiced. Well, that, and what I can't understand is why does a writer's opinion matter about a player and their ability to play the game? You can write all day about baseball, but you can't convince me that you know about playing the game when you've never played it. I agree. And, you know, you got guys like Kurt Schilling say, you know what, take my name out. Take my name out. Yeah, because he knows it's a joke. Jim, how, how do you fix it? I mean, I don't know, because I think Randy's right. These guys, they're not going to change the way they are. They seem set in their ways, and they're bona fide haters. I mean, the they only thing die. I – Right. That's that's either going to happen or because when you look at it, 75 percent needed. Right. And Kurt got 71 like the percentage maybe being lowered is the only thing I could think of. But I mean, these these guys, I think Randy might have had the answer. He might have been the right person. To ask. They just got to die. 
Hey, let me ask y'all a question. Do you think that because Kurt Schilling got 71%, do they all they all know, right, before, hey, we're going to get him a little up there, but we're not going to get him quite there. See, I think that's part of it is these guys know prior to who is on the ballot. So they can have the conversations about what, you know, strategically they want to do, but inevitably they're all going to agree on those that are in and those that are out. And it's probably either, I don't know how many guys that aren't a unanimous yes with all of them, but I would probably say it's not, there's not many that aren't, unanimous yeses but hey if you're going to keep the other guys out you know randy name dropped scott Rowland earlier and you know obviously he finished with 52.9 he didn't cheat and so why not if you're not going to put the other guys in put somebody in i mean because that's the worst part of it nobody's getting in we i i think it's it's makes your game look bad when you tell me that who you put on your ballot it no nobody's good enough to be in the hall of fame why even do it if you're not going to elect anybody? And then it, to it, celebrate, to re-celebrate retreads? Yeah, and, and and then and then like, why don't you just take the person with the the that has the highest percentage? Totally agree. Why not? That that actually makes clearly the most sense. Makes too much sense, I think. But and why does there have to be so many? Why can't there just be a couple or just the good the good news is you know the 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 guys going in the nba hall of fame this year is going to be arguably the greatest of our lifetime so hey good news is it sucks that baseball did what they did but when it comes to basketball time we're going to be talking about something awesome well i'm glad you brought up basketball we're going to transition right there randy give me an update on the grizz but also give me an update on the west so the forever and ever and ever as a Grizzlies fan, I have watched the San Antonio Spurs beat our ass, break our hearts. You know, uh, long story short on that, though, is Jim and I have seen the other way. We saw Zebo single-handedly take down the San Antonio Spurs when the Grizzlies were an eight seed and it started the run, otherwise known as the core four. Uh, so we were there for the beginning of that. But right now, let me tell you, this is not the grit and grind era, but this team is so much fun. Uh, they really enjoy playing together. Even doesn't matter who's out there. It's next man up. And I know that's a cheesy cliche, but just right now, they're up 20 on the Spurs. Just played them the other night, beat them by 17. Um, the bench has been phenomenal. Not to even get started. Everybody knows John Morant. And it's not even about the numbers for me, for John Morant. It's not about points and assists because those are great. I mean, he had 19 and 11 the other night, but his feel for the game and knowing when it's time, when it's when it's go time, when to get his teammates involved, the feel that Brandon Clark has, uh, you know, Tillman, what a great young big that is, the whole thing. But for the West, I talked about this the other day. Before you get there, can I yeah. – I got to ask a question with the Grizz. When is the expect, the expected date where everyone is available? So they talked about that today, as a matter of fact. Justice Winslow, believe it or not, is expected back before Jaron Jackson Jr. He is expected back in the next two to three weeks. And for all implications is that JJJ will be back at the end of February, beginning of March. Is there is there something lingering with him or they're just slow in the, the whole process with him? I think that as long, you know, they're being extra cautious, but 
I mean, they're winning. So why, what? What's the rush, right? That's what that's what they said today. That has allotted them the availability to not rush him back. And I can't, I can't go. This doesn't get talked about enough. Taylor Jenkins, my goodness, the dude just no everything he's trying is working. You know, they, he's surrounded himself with great people. I understand, and they have a lot of talent. But just his feel for the game too. And I don't like the fact that he doesn't ever challenge anything. But everything else, it, it, everything he does works. You gonna shout out your boy Bane? Number one in the league. Great call. Number one in the league. 52% from three. Doing it again tonight. The killer. Are we going to have back-to-back rookie of the years? I told, I didn't I call that a couple weeks ago on the show? Back-to-back rookie of the years, baby. You know Get what? It. And the more I see, you know, we, we watching this all last year and all these people's like, oh, if, you know, Zion had played all year, he'd have won rookie of the year. Keep his name out your mouth, son. John Morant, look, this boy done rookie of the year. Give him most improved player of the year this year because he's about to be MVP candidate. Get it. So, Jim, I'll, I'll transition over to the East now, but I, I guess the best place to start was what we saw from, from your boy last night. Probably one of the mo- most impressive games that we've seen in a, in a long time from him. What's going on with Russ? What's going on with the Wizards and 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 – What's going on with the East? I'm going to make Randy happy and start with a specific player on the Wizards. Before I give Westbrook credit, they were down 18 in the first quarter, and it wasn't Russ who started the initial comeback, man. Ish Smith put on a Shout out, Ish. Yeah, put on a clinic. He was the spark plug, got the energy going. Russ, I think, fed off him. You know, Bradley Beal – he didn't even score until seven minutes in the second quarter. It was it was really just the two of those guys get it done. And then Bill comes in, does what he does, and we got a ball game. Now, I will say this, you know, the the Wizards' defense is still crappy, and Kevin Durant is still the best scorer in the NBA. But the reality is this is more so about the Nets' inability to play defense. Because, yes, Harden was missing, but what do we know? He's not big on defense. So, you know, the best thing I heard today was uh, – Nick Wright said they're a make it take it team. If you're playing make it take it with them, they'll they'll beat you. But when you got to give the ball back to the other team, you're in trouble. So the Nets are hard to see as a legit contender, even with those players and the way they score, because they managed to let a Wizards team that isn't good, like not good at all. Like as much as I hate to say that, beat them. Text of the night goes to Jim Cross last night at the end of the first quarter. I quote. I'm going to cancel my NBA league pass, end quote. <laughs> I still said it. Hey, no. What's funny is I said it when they were getting whooped. I said it again when they won because I told Randy it can't get better than that. So what do I need to watch? Right, Randy? Is it going to get better than that at any point this season for the Wizards? No. And Look, so- for your sake, like, you were the happiest that I've seen you in a really long time. So, like, I, I hope this isn't the last time this happens. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I live it. It gave, it gave me something for sure. But, you know, uh, before we ju- dive into the East, you know, we talked about the Grizzlies, but we didn't really get to break down the West standings and what's going on over there. I know Randy had some insight on that. Well, quietly, you know, you look at the top two of the top three are obviously the L.A. teams. Nobody is really surprised by that. And even though he's coming off of a rough game, our, our boy, Mike Conley in the Utah Jazz, they're just doing work, just quietly winning. And I was looking at it today. I looked at the MVP candidates and everybody, you know, you got LeBron, Kawhi, all the big names. Nobody giving no, no love to my boy Jokic. That boy is MVP. He's leading them in wins above replacement, plus, minus, efficiency, 
dropped 47 on their head the other day. And nobody's giving no love. Yeah, that, I mean, he's to me, the reason the Jazz win streak ended single-handedly. He is the reason the Jazz, you know. And then you got, of course, uh, Dame Lillard doing Dame things, man, hitting that game winner. And ever since C.J. McCollum's went out, they've been winning. I mean, it's weird. They don't, you know, they're without Nurkic. They're without, you know, C.J., and they just keep doing their thing. Golden State quietly finding ways to win. James Wiseman has been unbelievable on the offensive end. On the defensive end, it's what keeps him off the court. If he can ever figure out the defensive side of things, he is going to be a legit, you know, journeyman starter in the NBA, probably even a fringe superstar. Houston, I'm not – this isn't even to, to trash on Harden or Russ, but ever since the trade, man, them boys been playing good defensively. Christian Wood, you know, John Wall, um, they've been really – I mean, uh, uh boogie doing their thing i mean they're finding a way to win they like each other well do you remember what i said to you in real time when it they didn't say who was going to be traded between westbrook or harden and they picked up wood and cousins and i told you that that's why i didn't understand why harden wanted out i thought those players that they put around either one of them you could pick either one of them were great and so now wall gets to be the beneficiary yeah and just i'll never i always point this out but New Orleans, you're down at the bottom of the West. Where y'all at, cuz? <laughs> hey, Randy, who's got the longest win streak in the NBA? The Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> go on, Memphis. And go on ahead and stay down there in New Orleans. You know who's second? It's the Houston Rockets. I can't wait to play them because we're going to put it on their head, too. Get it. Get it. All right, what about the East, Jim? Hey, man, the Sixers – are doing their thing. Randy's boy, Tobias Harris. Man, because, you know, there's there's been times where Simmons or Embiid have missed and he's picked up the slack. But when all three of them are in the lineup, they're just – they're absolutely money. They're doing their thing. Obviously, you Is know, this a direct reflection of Doc Rivers? I mean, is it, it – what's different from last year and this year? I mean, you, you make a good point because they all seem to have less conflict and there's not, you know, of course, it's hard when you're winning. You know, you, you see what happens when you start losing games and see how people act. But, I mean, I think so. I never thought Doc Rivers was a bad coach. Did you? No. I mean, I just – at some point when you are supposed to win it all and you don't, that people get tired of that. And it ain't going to be the players that go first. It's going to be the coach. Right. And so – go ahead unless the players decide they don't want to be there anymore. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and I bet they feel real good about not pulling the trigger on Harden. Like, you know, not saying that Harden doesn't do his thing, but I thought that they should always work with what they have and not forfeit their future. And so, obviously, you got Brooklyn up there, but like I said, their defense is just – it's a joke. Um, Milwaukee is up there as usual. And then Boston's up there, but they've played a lot less games. They had to deal with a lot of postponement. I think I think those four teams will be up there when we're talking about the East is kind of is what it is normally. It's you know four or five team race. The the interesting one would be Randy's Miami Heat. Like they're right above Washington. That's that's interesting within itself. But you know I expect to see Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Boston there in the end. I, I like all the teams. Here's the thing, Daniel. Not to get way too ahead of ourselves, dude. All right, so these teams aren't that great at defense like I just talked about uh, for the most part. You know who's number one at defense? The Lakers. Who's got LeBron and Anthony Davis and a lot more role players, star power. So I don't know that anybody's going to beat them cats when we talk about it. I'm glad you mentioned defense because I feel like 
and maybe it's just me, the scores are getting a little out of hand. So it got me thinking, Randy, is the league just that much more offensive, meaning like there's better shooters, better offensive players, or is the league just there's just no defense? So the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but I have studied this a little bit. I think that, number one, the players are so much faster and more athletic today. Um, you know, a guy like Russell Westbrook or Ja Morant, nobody could stay in front of them cats 10, 20 years ago. And just, just to name out a couple little numbers here, the average NBA team, this is average. This isn't even fast play in the NBA today. Average is 13 more possessions per 48 minutes. Oh, and you remember this really started uh, with the Phoenix Suns when they had um, Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. Uh, they were basically going seven seconds or less, right? So it's kind of that. Then you saw uh, D'Antoni continue that when he went to Houston and New York. You're shooting threes. You know, there was a shot chart that came out the other day. ESPN, I think, put it out, and it showed the Michael Jordan era, and it was a lot of mid-range, you know, a lot of fadeaways right there on that elbow. And now majority of your shots, big men, Mark Gasol, Valanciunas, all these dudes, Anthony Davis, these dudes are shooting threes, bro, at, at a regular, at a rapid pace. So more shots are taken from three. If you accounted just a – yeah, you trade four threes for four twos, it don't take you long to get up more points. I don't think it's all lack of defense. I think the offenses are faster, and they're shooting a ton more threes. But check this out. So we were talking about who the best teams were. You were talking about the West. I was talking about the East. All right, so number one in team defense is Lakers. Number three is Utah. Four is the Clippers. Six is the Grizzlies. Eight is Boston. Nine is Houston. The same teams we're talking about winning games. It's not a coincidence. Agreed. So it's really, but now you got to start measuring it different. It's it's defensive metrics. It's steals and passing lanes and possessions per and, and no second chance. That's the biggest thing. If they miss a shot, you cannot allow them to have second chance points. The Grizzlies have feasted on that. That's a part of your defense now. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know. I guess if, if you're the, average NBA watcher you probably want to see your guys score points you know if you're an average NBA watcher you probably don't want to see a tough and rough defensive game you you probably want to see high scoring games but I feel like there's a lot being taken away when all you do is just jack up shots the whole time but well you know uh the Boston Lakers game it was a defensive play that won that and it was by Caruso, too. And if you look at that same game, LeBron had multiple blocks that were just nasty. I like good defense, especially when you get some monster blocks or you got a guy like Caruso who the break could have happened and his hustle and effort got down there. I, I like watching defense. I mean, Randy is being a Jimmy Butler guy. I know he likes defense. I do, but I also, you know, that whole thing, we used to watch games, guys, that were like 78 to 81. Nobody's trying to see that. You know, offense scores. And what happened, it's not lack of defense. They changed the rules. You know, the hand check-in and the, and the three seconds, defensive three seconds. I mean, they want more scoring, and that's what sells, baby. Drama and offense. Yep. Put the ball in the bucket. So, as we transition to college basketball, Randy, the Vols, they, they beat the hell out of Kansas. So, are they back in the mix? Are they – moving in the right direction. What's up with the balls? You know, it's always crazy how much better your team looks when they just make shots, right? 
So, you know, they were really – they circled this game on the calendar. They spent a lot of the month of January struggling. Uh, one thing that really never struggled too much was the defense, so that kept on. I, I Honestly, I don't think Kansas is very good. Um, I thought that Tennessee was opportunistic. They got Jaden Springer back. He matters. I, I mentioned that several weeks ago. It's not – again, like I said with Josh, it's not all about his points. It's about what he means What on both sides of the floor, spacing. Pons and Fulkerson had this date circled because Kansas had gotten the best of them the last two years. They made a point this game. They were out there hustling. And I don't know that there's a better athlete in college basketball than Pons. Now, I don't think he'll ever play pro, but my goodness, the guy is unbelievable. So was it more of them making the shots that they were taking or they were actually running plays designed to set guys up and guys were being set up and the offense was smooth and they were hitting the shots on top of that? I think they were taking better shots. They, they, they weren't forcing it as much, you know, uh, and Pond scoring 17, that's a bonus because he's not going to do that for you. But again, you know, I keep going back to it. Jaden Springer. He only had 13, but they matter. It's timing, right? And defensively, when that when that five is out there locking you down, there's not a lot of teams that can score on that. It's it's a sight to see. And Rick Barnes, you know, after the game, he always has something negative to say. We'll look at it. We'll look at the film. After the game, he said, we're going to look at the film, but I don't think that a single player is going to grade out poorly on defense. That's the ultimate compliment from a guy like that. Absolutely. Jim, what's up with the Tigers? Right now, specifically, they are oh, – They've beaten that ass right now. Yeah, I mean, how often do we see 91 points and going with four minutes left? I mean, we just we just haven't. Offensively, you know, we just haven't been there. But I'll say this. So, we know they, they laid an egg against SMU, specifically that first half, right? That was atrocious. It was really atrocious for both teams. But um, – you know, it is what it is. They, they did get that first win over them. They did whoop ECU. They did whoop Wichita State. And now they're doing UCF. I think my concern is, is something I listened to today. So, you know, they talk about their defensive efficiency and being um, second. The problem is Houston's number one. And in order to really do anything, unless you win the conference tournament, if you're going to even have the discussion, which we know they're not even close to there yet, but if you're going to eventually have the discussion about – being in the tournament, you're going to have to beat Houston. And they play better defense and they score. So, at the end of the day, I'm still worried going forward. But this is a good start. I do hate the SMU loss, but we've won four of the last five. And considering where we were at, I'll take it. Randy, you think this is a, a, a side product of some time off and allowing Penny's new offense to, to get some – practice reps yeah we were so critical of the way that they were playing so we have to be complimentary when it and it looks right uh and a lot of that is again the shots falling uh because they were getting good shots that wasn't the issue they were just not making buckets yeah I don't, you know, I don't think defense or getting good shots are a problem i think defense is where it needs to be and, and creating good shots is where it needs to be it's just you can't turn the ball over, and you got to make shots when you're open. Well, you know who's still not making shots tonight, even in a big win, who hasn't been making shots? DJ Jeffries. He's three I for I mean, 10. he shot the ball one time. One time against SMU. How can you be the potential, you know, player of the year in the conference and, and one of the best players in, in, in the country if you're taking one shot against 
arguably the best competition that you've played so far. Do you not think that's possibly not that, I mean, hey, shooters need to shoot, but do you not think that might be a product of how bad he's been shooting? He was timid to pull the trigger? Uh, that or He hasn't been good. That or we're getting away from him and, and using him just to facilitate and draw people to him. Hey, but we have to because I know I have been. Alex Lomax, shout out to you, young king. My man, playing well. He is the heart of this team. That was never a question, but playing so good tonight. He's only missed one shot, I think, last time I looked. 14 points, and he is Four a, a five a, from downtown. Yeah, a floor general uh, in the truest sense of the word. But if he can knock down a couple threes a game, that takes the Tigers where they can be on that Houston level. Yeah, I mean, we currently have your boy out there right now. Connor's out there playing. I mean, that's that's <laughs> a good sign when, when when he gets in the game. Um, yeah, just just looking back on it, I think you play SMU the first time. It's it's a grind game. You come back, you win, you play hard, you 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 earn some stripes, and then you lose to them two two nights later. Randy, is it tough to beat a team like that? You know, with with no no time in between and playing them back to back essentially, or is that a game that this team needs to be expected to win every time. A hundred percent have to win both of those games. And they really shouldn't, they should beat them handily. In my opinion, talent wise is a big disparity to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm trying not to be the, the guy who harps all the time on, you know, you, you got to win every game you got to win every game because i mean the reality is you're probably not going to win every game but there are games that you should win like you shouldn't lose to teams like ecu you shouldn't get blown out by tulsa multiple times like those those are teams that you got to beat well the good news is you whooped ucf tonight and you whooped ecu those are the next two games you take care of those cincinnati's on a down year so you should absolutely not only just win those, but dominate those three games going into the Houston game. You got to get all those, and then we'll see what happens. I mean, the the reality is, is you you got to win out. I mean, I I don't I haven't heard anything about a conference tournament, and it could easily go without one. Um, so I think an at large bid is is slim to none as far as chances go. But if, if they are going to get in the field without a conference tournament, they're going to have to win out. But, he's, you know, I think if they win the next the next two, they drop to Houston and then win out there's, and, and they have a conference tournament, they still put themselves in a very good position to, to make a run to the, to the conference championship. So I wouldn't put all the eggs in the basket of beating Houston, even though, like, that would be a good win and probably a much-needed win and – probably relieve a little bit of pressure off penny and the team but i think you just right now you just got to keep doing what you're doing keep playing well keep keep making shots and and not turning the ball over as much so guys let's talk nfl it's a big week big week media days opening up for these guys for the super bowl um jim you know before we talk super bowl i want to get your thoughts on you know the whole Deshaun Watson like is he staying is he going are they gonna you know are they gonna charge this guy if he if he doesn't play or are they just gonna get 
rid of him and let him go. I mean, now that he's verbal, because that was the thing, right? It was all speculation. You hadn't heard it from him himself. And now that he has said it, I think they're going to make it happen. The The question is who's willing to give them the bag for them. And somebody will. Um, I've heard, you know, a name specifically today. I heard the Dolphins would be now arguably the front runner. But there's a lot of teams if you have the availability and you're willing to make that move. And we just saw, you know, with the Rams, their willingness to go get Stafford. And right now, you know, Deshaun's a bigger draw. So I think somebody's going to give Houston what they want for him. I mean, if you are – I'm just trying to think. I don't I don't know who has – I think the Jets have everything to gain and nothing to lose by going after a guy like Deshaun Watson. Man, would he would he pay for this whole thing if he ended up with the Jets? It, it'd be his own fault for acting the way he did. Well, but who knows? They might win. Like, it can't be it's any worse. <laughs> but it, but who who cares? Here's the thing: you either play in Houston and you have a terrible time, and you might make the playoffs, and you lose in the first round, or you play in Houston, have a terrible time and you don't make the playoffs. Either way, the Jets are finishing the year in the same way the Houston Texans well, have a, finished their years. A team I saw that had assets and um, room against the cap and probably with him added to the team and in the division they're in, Washington football team picked him up. They're absolutely going to take that division. I mean, I, I heard some, some s- s- rumors today about – Urban Meyer giving up the the first pick and giving getting Deshaun Watson in Jacksonville, which that's I mean, a smart. That's a, if Houston does that, then they can turn around and get the quarterback to replace him immediately. But here's the problem: if if you do something like that, you don't buy yourself any time. At least if you go out and get a Trevor Lawrence, you're at least giving yourself some time to 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 get it right. But Randy, I'll, I'll go to you, man. The the Colts are now in a predicament on what do they do? Because I think the guy that we thought they were going to get ended up deciding he wanted to go hang out with this boy out in LA. So first off, tell me where are the Colts at? What are they going to do? Who are they going to eyeball as far as being their quarterback next year? And then what are your thoughts on Stafford going to the Rams? Well, I'll start with the Stafford to the Rams. It's been funny to watch it unfold over the last season. Uh, You know, the Rams making it to the Super Bowl and everybody. You thought, you know, McVay uh, and Goff were going to be, you know, maybe even on not quite Belichick and Brady, but they could be the next tandem. That They looked amazing. They were putting up numbers. You know, there was – it was amazing to watch. We watched the Rams in the – what, put up 48 and 45 on a Monday night football game. To watch that unfold and to watch them publicly – undressed Jared Goff this year has been unsettling to me um I don't like that from Sean McVay and uh I think it was evidenced and when you saw Jared Goff come out today and he said look I'm just excited to go somewhere where I know they want me uh and you know where I'm excited to build a future so anybody that's excited to go the Lions they've had enough shit with that other team (laughs) I mean how could you not be excited to go play for Motor City Dan you know he's gonna be you know nibbling on some ankles oh he's gonna be Biting some patellas. He's going to yeah. be doing it all with a <laughs> yeah, big, so, massive dip in. It, you know, I, I think that it's a great trade uh, for the Rams. You did push all your chips to the center of the table, though. There's no denying that. 
you went and got a towards the back end of his career to win now. So there's no doubt that they think he's going to put them over the edge. I have doubts. I know we all saw last year, but I heard it said today. This made perfect sense to me. If you put Matt Stafford on that team in their playoff game, do they win the game? You can't unequivocally say yes, but I think they would have had a better. It wasn't Jared Goff that lost in that game. It just wasn't. Losing Brandon Cooks, that's a huge loss. That's your downfield threat. They said he can't throw it down the field. Who's he going to throw down the field to? Cup Cooper Cup's play. not a downfield. Well, Cup didn't even play. Right, but he, he's a possession receiver. He's great. No, no knock, but he's a possession receiver. So it's going to be interesting. So to the Colts. I saw some names, uh, you know, and we've, we've joked lightheartedly with Jim Jameis, uh, but it's a name that's getting cut up, you know, and Colts fans have been um, very against it on Twitter and on the Facebook message boards. I'm not. I'm, I'm not against it because I think putting him with Frank Reich, uh, and if you got Jameis, Jameis has the talent. He's got the tools. He's got the arm. He's got the ability. He's got the ability to move. Um, and he's got, he's got the ability to throw touchdowns. He's won games in this league. It's a it's not a no-risk-it-no-biscuit type of offense like the Bucks. I think what people are also missing here from the Colts' standpoint is you get a quarterback, who's he throwing the ball to? Because you're losing T.Y. more than likely. He's on the end of his career. They're not going to pay him the bag anymore. So the Colts do have some question marks. Got a great running game and a great offensive line. But I'm not opposed to Jameis. Another name. You're not going to get Deshaun Watson because they're not trading him in the division. Not happening. So, you know, you're going to have to get, you know, Mitchell Trubisky's a name that I brought up a few times. If you can get – I don't think that the Colts are the type of team, you know, Jim's going to put the bag out. They're not going to pay a guy a whole bunch of money. But think about this. Last year they paid Phillip Rivers $25 million and Jacoby Brissett $22 million. $47 million for Look those two guys – let me ask you this, Randy, in regards to the receiver thing, um, when the receivers were banged up this year, Hines went out there and basically played with a receiver and absolutely teared it up. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, when Kamara was used more as a receiver when we had Ingram, he was, you know, getting the matchups and dominating. I think that's something the Colts need to look at, especially when you got Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, is using Hines and keeping him on the field as much as you can. No, I absolutely agree. Hans, I love that guy. And, you know, they're not – the cupboard isn't bare when it comes to receivers, but I just think that, you know, now I even heard it said today, a guy who was a Colts beat writer, he said, you know what, what are you – how open are you guys to bringing Jacoby back? And let me tell you, uh, I'm against it. Unless I didn't know y'all paid him $22 million, by the way. Good. Well, that was before Phillip Rivers. You know, they paid him because that was all that. You know, quarterbacks just get in the bag. What about my boy Dak? I wonder if he's ready to suit up and put the horseshoe on. <laughs> he needs to just focus on putting pads and pants back on before. Well, 40 mil. That's what I mean. You got a guy like Dak who's, you know, I think we can all agree here, even the biggest Dak fans can agree he's probably, he's not top five, you know, in the NFL. 40 million is top five money, baby. Hey, uh, I already told you, man, you need to go on and make a call down to South Beach. Going to bring your boy Ryan, Ryan Fitzmagic in, you know, running run for a year, man. I love, I love Fitzpatrick, but are you not just repeating the same cycle over and over again? I mean, honest to God, if you look at their numbers, Philip Rivers is better than Fitzpatrick, even at this point in his career. I just don't know, man. I don't know. We got to have know. a guy. I think a talent like Jameis does put you 
they put you in a better position. No, you guys agree? I, I think so. Yeah, but the problem is, is why are you paying all the money to the other guys not to play? Well, the only other name, and I say it, Taysom Hill. No. <laughs> And I don't even know that they would. It's probably likely now that he's going to stay in Philly, but Frank Reich and Carson Wentz, you know, Carson Wentz's best seasons, best games, most wins, best stats were under Frank Reich. So, you know, I'm sure he has an affinity towards Wentz. And I feel like every offensive coordinator like Frank Reich, quarterbacks coach, feels like they can get the magic back out of a player. And I still don't think two quarterbacks that I'm not, everybody's down on that I'm not sold that they're done are, is Mitchell Trubisky and Carson Wentz. I'm not sold they're over with. You know, you know who you really need to go after? And if you want to beat the best, you need Chad Henney. <laughs> you need Look. to bring old, old Chad Henney down to Indianapolis so he can give you all the insight on the Chiefs. Hey, all that you need. Hey, Randy, I'll say this in regards to Jameis. I was reading all the same things you did. I actually don't know if the Saints at this point are going to be able to retain his services because – the amount of teams that are starting to talk about him, and as you have brought up, the lack of money the Saints have, they might find themselves to where they can't even get him. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I think is he a restricted free agent or is he unrestricted? Unrestricted. Oh yeah. So I think he, I think more than likely he'll be gone because that's an easy way to clear cap space, you know, for the Saints. And you and they have a quarterback that because you got him for nothing last year, with. and you're not going to be able to do it again. Right. No, no, no. He's fixing to get paid regardless. But I've seen him also, you know, a name that didn't get brought up for Deshaun Watson, and I don't know that he puts him over the top, is Carolina. You know, could they package Teddy Bridgewater in a couple of firsts? But I'm just – for me, if I'm Deshaun Watson, if you can go to a team like Carolina, they're not a, they're not all of a sudden in the conversation for being a comp- competitive team to win a championship, in my opinion. So then what's the, the point? But if you build, if you if you can build that team successfully, since you brought it up, I mean, if the Saints fall off, and then I mean, Tom, let's be honest, does he maybe have one more year? I know he's not going to play forever, like people think. So I mean, the the window in the South is going to open up. That's true. That's true. Get you a little three way action with Texas and and San Francisco, and let Deshaun Watson go to. 49ers and Jimmy G take his services to the Colts. I would take Jimmy G. You know, when they got DeForest Buckner, they actually inquired first about Jimmy G uh, before they had Phillip Rivers. So it was it was on the table. Uh, thank God they ended up with DeForest Buckner because he was Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Never heard of him. <laughs> so, guys, talking Super Bowl, it's a, it's a big week. We're going to lead, lead into it and culminate with, with – you know, Super Bowl 55 on Sunday, we got the Bucks, we got the Chiefs, got the defending champs taking on the Bucks in their home stadium. Um, Jim, I'll, I'll give you the question. If the Bucks win, how did they win? Okay, so one of the things that we've talked about, you know, Randy's hammered on is talking about Tom Brady comes in to not lose you games. And, you know, he, he had the turnovers against Green Bay. I think the key, because Kansas City is not, you know, a top-tier defense, but they are very opportunistic, very, very. And so I think if Tampa can protect the ball, don't have any turnovers, 
and run their offense. And then defensively, they play the way they just simply play the way they've been playing. And I'm not asking them to completely shut Patrick Mahomes down, but play to the level they've been playing. Then I think that's the key because I think the turnover battle is going to be significant. It always is in every game, but I really think so in this, this game, I think whoever makes the most mistakes loses. So I think if Tampa can keep themselves clean, um, then they can win. True. True. I, I, I can feel you on that. I think if the Bucks win, it's, it's going to be, um, they have figured out a way to, to confuse Patrick Mahomes which sounds probably a lot harder than, or it's probably a lot harder than it sounds just because he can do so many things. And when you do confuse him, he can just say, well, I'm going to run the ball or I'm going to throw off my back leg for 75 yards for a touchdown to. Well, I'll say this, Travis Kelsey, you know, there, but when we, when you talk about Levante David and Devin white, the speed of their linebackers, you know, Patrick Mahomes isn't, you know, as, as talented as he is, I don't think he's going to be able to just escape like he normally does, especially if those guys come. Those guys are extremely fast. Don't forget about Sean Murphy. I don't hold Bunton. <laughs> is your boy Winfield good to go? Everybody's good. AB's going to be back. Defense is 100%. So, so I mean, same thing with Kansas City. So nobody's got any excuses, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. I hope Tyreek Hill catches COVID, but he's 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 he doesn't have any symptoms. He's asymptomatic. So I got a I got a Bucks question directly for you before he gets to Kansas City. There was a discussion this morning, and we've talked about Jameis, and we've obviously talked about Brady and Bruce Arians coming out and talking about Byron Leftwich not even getting an interview. This isn't about race. I'm asking about him specifically as a coach. Do you think when you see what he did with the offense last year's James, because a lot of people like want to easily say, well, this is Brady, but they were their offensive scheme last year was without Brady and they were putting up numbers. It was just turnovers. And then they're doing it again this year. Is there something to be said about the job that Byron Leftwich has done? And does he deserve an interview somewhere? Um, does he deserve an interview? Yes, of course he does. He has been masterful with a quarterback that is, I mean, throwing you a bunch of interceptions and and quite easily could have lost you games. Um, And he's been masterful with a guy who is arguably the best quarterback ever. So does he deserve an interview? Absolutely, he does. Um, Will he get one? I think at some point he will. Yes, he'll get an interview. But it's, it's hard when you bring a guy like Brady in and you have success, it's hard to say that Byron Leftwich is the guy that created that because of who the name is and and what he brings to the table and let's not fool ourselves Bruce Arians is the head coach and like he's he's no slouch either so um, having those names surrounding you probably hurts a little Um, so it might take a little extra time for him to get you know the the interview that he's looking for but I I think it's not too far out out of the realm of, of of what's about to happen. Well, I think the rea- the reality is, you know, you're right. He deserves one, but to not get one this year and maybe get one next year, and to be able to run this thing back with with Arians and Brady is not a is not a bad gig. So, is what it is. So, Randy, I'll ask you the same question. But if the Chiefs win, what did they do? How did they make it happen? Protected Patrick Mahomes because we talked about 
how everybody's healthy, but for the Chiefs, you know, they lost, you know, their Pro Bowl left tackle uh, in the championship AFC championship game. They're down to one offensive starter from opening day. Um, so, you know, it's a ragtag division. You know, they went from, you know, they had a bunch of all, you know, pro bowlers on there, all pros to now they got just makeshift next man up. It, you know, and a lot of people, you don't talk about it because they're fast paced, they're moving and they're talented guys, they're pros. But the reality is Patrick Mahomes is not a hundred percent. We could tell it in the bills game. He still does his thing because he's crazy talented, but it is going to be imperative because Jim talked about it, the speed of those linebackers. When they do bring the blitz, can they pick it up? You know, and that's going to be big for the Chiefs. Now, what's going to happen, I think you're going to see a lot of screens and bubbles and stuff to offset that blitz, and it's so scary to do that against the Chiefs because if you get a bubble screen to Tyreek Hill, holla, he's, a, he's to or the Hartman. house. Or Hardman, you know, and it just they, they're just so good. Andy Reid. It doesn't matter what defense you throw out. The Chiefs are going to score points, and the, the scary part about them is they might go two and a half quarters and not get nothing and then put up three touchdowns in a matter of eight minutes. It's it's crazy. My question for you is, is your boy Travis Kelsey going to be the best player on the field? Ooh, I think so. That's my follow-up question to, to round this out. If the, if the Bucks win, Jim, who's, who's the MVP? That's an easy I'm, question. I'm, no matter how bad he plays, you know what the answer is. No, I'm actually going to shock him. Um, Leonard Fournette. I think – I think – Get out of here. I think – no, seriously. I think they do have to establish a run game, but I don't think he's he's going to do it. But, I mean, I don't want to say Brady. It's – you know, man, if I say – He's if winning I, it, bro. If, if I say if – I say, if I say Devin White uh, shuts down Kelsey, gets some sacks, gets a turnover, I mean, let's get. You don't like either guy that I would say because they're LSU guys, so whatever. So, so who are you going with? I wanted. I was. I was. You know what? I'm serious. I, Len, playoff Lenny. If he shows up, gets it. All right. If the if the Chiefs win, who's the MVP? Who, who are you asking? Tyron Matthew, he's asking you, but I'm gonna say Tyron. No, I'm, Matthew, I'm asking answer. Jim. I'm gonna oh. ask you the same questions. Oh no, then I, it's gonna be what I was saying. I think it'll be Kelsey. I mean, I just I don't think anybody can cover him. Randy, if the Bucks win, who's the MVP? Tom Brady. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not. I didn't a want different. to say Brady. It's not fun. I could say Mahomes for Kansas City. That sucks too. But Jim, that's, it's not a it's not a trick question. Man. That's true though. If the Chiefs or the either, no matter what, either team wins, I could tell you this: if the Buccaneers win and he only puts up two hundred and forty yards, two touchdowns, and two picks, he's still winning the MVP. The the reason you're right is because when the Saints won the Super Bowl against the Colts, me and you know that Breeze wasn't the best player on the field. One hundred percent agree. When the Colts won the Super Bowl, Peyton Manning was not the best player. It was Bob Sanders was the absolute far and away best player on the field. And they gave it to Peyton because they it's quarterback driven. That's what this league is about. So if the Chiefs win, Randy, who's the MVP? Tyreek Hill. <laughs> For me, if the Bucks win, the MVP is definitely Ryan Suckup. <laughs> <laughs> no, is there ever one MVP? I, Vinatieri. If, if Vinatieri uh, didn't, then ain't nobody. Ain't winning. nobody winning. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, if the Bucks win, Brady's MVP. If the the Chiefs win, mm, 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 mm. I mean, how I, I gotta go Mahomes. I mean, how, I think how do would. you how do you not like he he does? Jim brought up so a great much. point though. Kelsey could be in the running for that because he has the ability to put up completely stupid numbers. Not this week. Not so fast, my friend. Okay, Lee Corso. All right, Jim, did we did we leave anything out? Did we miss anything? No, felt like we covered everything. Randy, did we miss anything? We got it all. Shout out 10K, baby. 10K. Speaking of 10K, Randy, make us rich. We talked a little bit on the show about Matthew Stafford making the move to Cali. Uh, it's really a, a, such a, a bunch of moving pieces, right? I think the Rams felt like they had a franchise quarterback, so they were willing to spend some money on it because they feel like them L.A. Chargers are coming up, so I'm serious. But let's talk money for a second. In 2021, Matthew Stafford was due to cost the Lions $33 million in cap space with a base salary of 9.5, a $10 million roster bonus due on the fifth day of the 2021 league year, and workout bonuses along the way. But by sending him away, he'll only cost $19 million against the cap, clearing $14 million in cap space immediately. Take notes, New Orleans Saints. This is how you clear cap space. The Rams take on $9.5 million salary and the $10 million roster bonus and the $500,000 in workout bonuses for a cap hit of just $20 million for them. So this is one of those rare instances where both sides win financially, but I do want to bring up one thing. You guys have been watching Matt Stafford his whole career. I ain't saying he's chunky, but I'm saying the workout bonuses, he might not be collecting them all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to hit that weight room is what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, he needs to do something besides them Georgia curls. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Jim, who are you blowing the whistle on this week? Oh, it's going to go to last night's game in the Wizards Nets. We are in such a soft NBA that Russell Westbrook can get an and one and yell, he's too small and get a technical. Come on, man. That's just stupid. I'm blowing the whistle because, I mean, if you're going to give Westbrook a technical every time he yells something, he's going to get suspended every game going down the second half of the stretch. That's stupid. I mean, can, I, that, can I add that, something to that, that real quick? That uncontested free throw was the most contested shot of the night. <laughs> <laughs> can I add something to that, too? And unbelievable that this happened. Kyrie Irving has an inbounds at the end of the game. He clearly moves. Both feet moved. And the referee literally doesn't move. He's touching the referee with his arm, and he doesn't call the travel. Worse than that, the Wizards somehow let a guy get straight to the front of the rim. A comedy of errors. The guy goes up for a layup and misses the freaking layup. So all the way around, I'm blowing the whistle on the Wizards. <laughs> I'm blowing the whistle on the ref. I'm blowing the whistle on the Nets. All y'all trash. Hey, here, here's the thing, Randy. I said it to y'all in real time. Had they scored right there with that layup, I was absolutely blowing the whistle on them not calling that a Kyrie. But since it didn't matter in the outcome of the game, I just went ahead and went to the other part. Man, the whole thing was just... Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, for for me, guys, I got to give my That's What's Up award, and it's going to go to uh, two non-for-profit groups. One, the Military Order of the Purple Heart, and two, the Broken Warfare Angels. Uh, these two groups saw a World War II veteran's home uh, under remodel, and it stayed under remodel for a long time after you know talking to the gentleman and, and and getting his story on world war ii and his service um they found out that his his son passed away unexpectedly and so that's why the house was under construction and under remodel for so long so these two groups put some money together and went over there and fix fixed uh, our man alfred guerrera's house so shout out to those two non-for-profits, the Military Order of the Purple Heart and the Broken Warfare Angels. That, my friends, is what's up. And guys, we had a great episode, another good one. Shout out to you, Jim. Shout out to you, Randy. 10K, man. 10K going strong. We'll be at 20 before you know it and a million before you blink your eyes. So guys, you know, good job. You know, keep up the good work. And you know, Arnado you Trades to- Official. <laughs> You you know how you for, who you forgot to shout out Daniel your boy Edge, Edge yeah I mean I'm waiting to see uh, bef- before I give any accolades I got to make sure the guy's not hurt the last time he was in a big match he got hurt and then he was out so I want to make sure he's not hurt and he's there so you know next mm-hmm. week I'll, I'll have a, a full update on WWE because it's it's WrestleMania season and guys this is this is the year of Tampa. Uh, WrestleMania will be here in April, right here in, in Tampa. And hopefully, you know, we're adding another championship to that uh, at the end of this week. So um, I want to thank, you know, our, our guest tonight, Doug Nikhazy. Hopefully he'll join us again in the future when he's hoisting up those championships. But if you like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, your comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. We're going to see everyone next week for episode 22, where we will be discussing Arkansas baseball and the Detroit Tigers with Jack Kinley. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We're out.